Welcome everybody to Radical Simple Living podcast, episode 29. My slime jump, there was a cat about to jump on my uh, laptop here and press a few buttons, which they do occasionally. Um, yeah, it's spring here in southern Sweden and when swing, spring comes I get very busy, so I apologise that the frequency of my podcast has um, changed, that I'm now probably getting one a week out, whereas in the middle of winter it was two a week. That's entirely due to the fact that I'm so busy doing other things. It's that weird time of the year where it's still cold in the winter, so you still need to light fires, chop wood, bring wood in. But in the afternoon it gets warm and seeds are sown and onion sets are planted and new shrubs and fruit bushes are put in every year and it's quite wonderful. So I'm enjoying springtime here and for those of you that live in the southern hemisphere where a lot of my listeners do, I hope you're enjoying a good fall and I hope autumnal pleasures are all yours. Now, um... This podcast has always been about simplicity and the various aspects of simplicity. And I think two overriding things have uh, come out of it. One is that simplicity is very much for you to decide what it means. You look at the evidence, you look at what other people are doing and you decide what a simple life represents for you. And you do your best to pursue your goals and your goals are to live a less complicated life, to live more in harmony with uh, other people around you and with the natural environment around you. You want to stop polluting and you want to do what you can to make sure the planet is good for everybody. And also that you might seek some spiritual uh, strength from a life of simplicity in whatever terms you choose to define for yourself. So you're not saying simplicity is going to replace your uh, beliefs and your values, but you're going to marry simplicity to your beliefs and your values and come up with a lifestyle that really works for you. Now, today I'm going to add a word to that simplicity, which adds a new dimension to it, and the word is plainness. And so instead of talking about simple, you can talk about plain and simple. Now, plainness isn't for everybody, it's for a few, and plainness is very much misunderstood. If you say to people, I'm going to move away from the city, I'm going to move to the countryside, and I'm going to live a simple life, everybody will have an image in their head of what you're going to be doing. Possibly that image will have nothing to do with reality, because they'll see you you know, sitting in a field, lying about a haystack uh, as if you're in some Van Gogh painting and thoroughly enjoying yourself while chewing an ear of corn or something. Whereas what it really involves you in is a lot of hard work. But they will have an image and they will know and they will they will say you're crazy or they will say, oh, I wish I could. Or they'll, they'll come up with some other um, thing that they want to get across. A simplistic idea of your simplicity will give a simplistic response from them. Now, that's fine. If you say to people, I'm selling up in the city and I'm moving the countryside to become plain and simple, most of them will look at you without any clear idea of what you mean. 
because the word plainness isn't one that most people care about. They might say, oh, I want my bedroom decorated in a very plain way, or I think I'll cook a very plain birthday cake this year, or those kind of things. But plainness as a way of life is something that is quite alien to many people. Now, if you can hear a noise there, there is a large paper bag on the floor here and one of my cats occupied this paper bag like it was a cave and has been looking out of it and, and trying to pour every other cat that's passed by and, and he was just challenged for ownership of his paper bag by another cat and there's now a bit of a power struggle going on so I'll try and ignore it and carry on. Um, it's, it's one of the problems of, of, of broadcasting with cats involved. It, it does have its drawbacks as well as its benefits, although the benefits are few, I should say. Uh, careful, please. Now, um, so what does plainness mean? Well, plainness in its, its broadest terms means a lack of ostentation. Plain people don't want to distinguish themselves by what they're wearing. They don't want to draw attention to themselves by either what they wear or how they live. They want to blend in. Now, blending in may be blending in with others in their community that have a similar appearance, or it may be blending in so their own beliefs are reflected in what they wear. Now, you, you will be aware that lots of people all over the world dress plain and that that definition of plain will alter according to where they live. For instance, Leo Tolstoy, who was a womanising, gambling, high-life sort of young aristocrat as a young man, in his later life uh, adopted a very plain and simple lifestyle. He dressed in this kind of clothing that peasants would normally wear in Russia at the time. Just sort of, of boots with the trousers tucked in and a long sort of shirt that came over it, a tunic that was belted at the waist on the outside. And he grew a long beard. And in doing so, he wasn't inventing a style of clothing. What he was really doing is saying, right, the peasants in Russia dress like this and essentially I'm no different from them. There is no Count Tolstoy and the peasants. I'm at one with the peasants. We're all the same. And so I'm going to dress as the peasants dress. Now, whether he succeeded in that or not is open to interpretation. But that was the idea behind it. If we look at Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, when he was training as a, a, a lawyer in Britain, and when he then went to work as a lawyer in South Africa, wore exactly what every other British trained lawyer wore sort of pinstripe trousers and a jacket and a, a starch shirt and a, a bowler hat and that's how he dressed but when he went back to India and when he identified himself with the struggle of the Indian people to gain independence and the struggle of the Indian people against the poverty that seemed to embrace most of them he started dressing as the average Indian peasant would dress and you all see pictures of the characteristic picture of um, Gandhi is wrapped in a cloth, carrying a staff and walking around with sandals or barefoot sometimes and living very much the life of a peasant. And he lived in a very modest house and did his own growing and, and his own cleaning and all these kind of things. So that was simplicity on their terms.
If we go to North America, the obvious choice of simplicity we have is to look at groups of people like um, the Amish and other Anabaptist groups like the Mennonites, for instance. And they traditionally dress in a way that is very easily recognisable. I say it's easily recognisable. In fact, there are lots of differences. Different Amish groups dress in different ways. And Mennonites may dress very similarly to the Amish, or they may dress completely differently. But they can be identified as not dressing in the same way as most of the population. You're not going to see an Amish man ploughing the fields wearing a T-shirt with, um, I don't know, some metal band advertised across the front of it. You're not going to see an Amish man wearing a baseball hat with her football team logo on it. You're not going to see a Mennonite woman um, walking round in a, in a pair of Lycra leggings at the supermarket. Now, the reason they don't do that is because they have identified a certain style of clothing which to them represents simplicity and plainness. It tries to identify themselves as being one of a group, but it also identifies them to each other and says, I'm with you, these are the values I stand for, and I'm dressing in the same way. Now, I, I, I have come across a lot of people, I've written quite a lot about plain dressing over the years, and a lot of people are very antagonistic towards it. A lot of people say, oh, people shouldn't dress like this. And, and, and quite often these are fairly liberal-minded people who say if they go to the shopping centre and there's a goth or there's a hell's angel, they will say, oh, no, those people have the absolute right to dress as they want. It's part of their freedom. But if they say a woman wearing a long dress and a head covering, they say, oh, that woman is obviously being manipulated into dressing that way. by," uh, And it's not necessarily the truth in either case. Both cases have similarity in it. Hell's Angel dresses to show the world that they're a Hell's Angel and to dress in unity with other Hell's Angels. A goth will dress as a goth because they want people to see them as a goth and they want to display themselves to other goths as being part of their set, part of their group. And that's exactly what the Amish and various Mennonite groups are doing. So, so we need to look at that. And we, we need to maybe wonder where plain dressing came from originally, where the ideas of plain dressing came from. And it won't surprise you that they came from Europe. And they basically came with the early Anabaptists, who tried to dress differently from other people to identify themselves. And they wanted not to appear to be victims of fashion. They wanted to appear not to dress in a way that would um, show any ostentation on their part or any um, differentiation between the classes. They wanted to dress in a fairly, um, a fairly simple way, a fairly plain way that fitted in with their lifestyle. And they were the first ones to uh, wear the broad-rimmed um, hat. They, they were the first ones to wear mainly plain colours, dark jackets, plain-coloured shirts. The women dressed, not uncommonly for the time, because women dressed in long dresses anyway. And 
when Quakers started in England, uh, Quakers, the, 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 the first Quakers started uh, around the preaching. It's wrong to say George Fox was the first Quaker because he was one of a group. But around the preachings of George Fox, who in the 17th century developed the Society of Friends in Britain, which later became the Quakers. They were called Quakers because um, it was a term of abuse. that They quaked a lot in their religious practices and they adopted it in much the same way that groups do now sometimes. Um, you, you find a name that is used against you and you adopt that name and it seems to work out quite well. You can accept ownership of it in that way. And George Fox did visit the Low Countries where many of these Anabaptists were. His own relatives were Anabaptists and many of the ideas of Quakers, a lot of Quakers are banging their table now and saying, no, that was not right. But I've researched this for years and I've no doubt at all that um, George Fox's uncle, often described as being a Baptist, was actually an Anabaptist because the word Baptist and Anabaptist seems to be interchangeable in England in the 17th century to some extent. And we know that George Fox and William Penn and others visited the Low Countries, met with Anabaptists and adopted many Anabaptist principles, including the plain dress. Now, the plain dress wasn't part of Quakerism at the beginning, but it soon became part of Quakerism. And by the 18th and early 19th century, British Quakers had started dressing in a particular way. And um, they'd, they'd started where the men had started wearing uh, collarless shirts, for instance, because men who worked in the city and aristocrats wore a collar on their shirts and working men didn't. So Quakers assumed that if everybody wore a collarless shirt, then that would be egalitarian. That would show that they were a classless society. They didn't they weren't interested in in social hierarchy whatsoever in. England in the 17th century, um, you spoke in two different ways. If you spoke to somebody that was deemed to be socially above you, you would use terms like thee and thou. If you notice um, religious writers, uh, even people like Jane Austen, who wrote a very, a very popular prayer, use words like thee and thou when referring to God. Whereas if people were talking to people below them, they would say you and yours. So if you were talking to your servants, you would say, uh, can you clear the table, please? And then you can go to your room for the rest of the evening. I won't need you. You'd use the word you. Uh, but if you were talking to somebody much above you, you would use words like thee and thou. So plainness didn't only extend to clothing. It extended to speech, too. And whilst Quakers all dressed very much like working people did with collarless shirts and, and what have you, when it came to speech, they started addressing everybody as though they were some higher member of society. They called everyone. They used words like thee and thou uh, to everybody. So they were saying you can't have one form of clothing for the rich and one form of clothing for the poor. And you can't have one form of speech for the rich and another form of speech for the poor. You've got to be consistent in the way you treat people to show equality. Because their religious beliefs that came from uh, the, the, uh, the words of Jesus were that all people were equal when they tried to teach them equally. Now, it's a very interesting fact 
that Quakers went into banking in England in a big way. And those of you that live in Britain will know words like uh, names like Lloyd's and Barclays as associated with two of the biggest banks in Britain. Lloyd and Barclay were both Quakers. And by the end of the 17th century, beginning of the 18th century, uh, nearly all banks in, in, in England, not so much in Scotland, and, uh, but in England, all banks, nearly all banks were owned by Quakers because people could trust Quakers. And when Oliver Cromwell in the uh, English, after the English Civil War, allowed Jews back into England, the Jews had been kicked out of Britain in the Middle Ages in an appalling attack of, of royal racism. Oliver Cromwell said the Jews were welcome to come back to Britain to live and work and practice their religion. And when they came to Britain, a lot of the Jews were bankers. And so they went to the banking sections where banking was operated in, in London and, and uh, Leeds and, and other places and uh, Edinburgh. And they found Quakers. And what were the Quakers wearing? They were wearing uh, broad-brimmed hats. They were wearing dark clothes, white shirts, dark jackets, dark trousers. And the Jews were dressed pretty much as they were in most of Europe in sort of... Um, a Jewish attire, they saw these Quakers and they adopted that. So if you wonder today why so many Orthodox Jews don't dress too dissimilarly from, um, you know, the plain dressing people of North America, that's why. Because they picked up those plain dressing things from the Quakers who were bankers in England, adopted them, and then they spread. And so eventually plain dressing became an important part of Jewish culture, as well as of um, Quaker culture. We also know that Islam has a great tradition of plain dressing, and lots of lots of Islamic men again adopt the collarless shirt and all sorts of things. We, they don't have to, but a lot of them do. So from this, you might get the idea that plain dressing is entirely um, religious, but it's not necessarily. You can adopt plain dressing without adopting the religious associations it has. And if you do, why would you bother doing it? Why would you bother adopting a plain lifestyle if a simple lifestyle is all there is? Well, to that I would add two observations. Firstly, that all of us do adopt a plain dress to some extent. If you go to um, a public place in any town in Europe or North America or many parts of Asia, Australia, New Zealand, all of these places, South America, you will see, if you go out, a lot of people wearing jeans and a T-shirt. Uh, you can't really, unless people at work judge their social status by that, all you can say is everybody dresses in a fairly similar way with jeans and a t-shirt and so that's in a way the new sort of common people's expectations of how you dress and we know now there's a certain crossover and now in all sorts of places in, in offices where you would have had to wear a suit and tie um, back in the, 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 the 60s or 70s now you can wear jeans and a t-shirt so that in a way is is the way that plain dressing sort of comes about. Trying to dress like ordinary people leads to plainness. Now, 
Plainness affects speech, plainness uh, affects clothing, plainness also uh, affects architecture. A very important plain group were the Shakers in America, and you know the Shakers are famous for their wonderful designs of furniture. At a time when furniture was ornate and furniture was very complicated and embellished with all kinds of fancy fretwork and what have you, along came the Shakers and started producing simple, simple plain designs for chairs and for doors and for rooms and for tables and for cupboards and tall boys and all these other things. And we know that this is some of the most prized furniture now. The Shakers, for the most part, have gone, partly due to their um, unwillingness to engage in sexual intercourse. There were no baby Shakers. Most people became Shakers because they joined, but when they formed groups, people used to leave babies on Shaker doorsteps for the Shakers to take in. And uh, of course, th that, that couldn't sustain the group and eventually their numbers became so small they had to fade away. But the plainness of their furniture has had a real influence on things like the arts and crafts movement in, in Britain and America and Sweden. As it happened, Sweden was very important in the arts and crafts movement. So those simple lines, simple clothing, simple furniture, simple houses, simple speech, all of these things are important. And plain dressing is still with us. I dress plain. I've made one concession to not plain dressing since moving to Sweden, which is I, I wear, um, as you've seen, if any of you see my picture, I have um, a beard, but I don't have a moustache. Now, why do I do that? Well, in the early days, uh, moustaches were entirely associated with the military. Soldiers had moustaches in many regiments in the British Army. You had to have a moustache. If you joined and you were without a moustache, you had to grow one. And because of this, moustaches became associated with the military, with soldiers and Quakers and many Anabaptists, and, and, and including Mennonites and Amish, decided that they didn't want to appear as though they were military. So they grew the beard which functionally was very sensible, but they didn't have a moustache. And so that's how that came about. And if you're wondering why Abraham Lincoln sported a beard like that, well, his family, uh, lots of Quakers in his family, if you look back in his family tree, and it was possibly a family tradition, or possibly at that time it'd become a bit of a fashion item as well. We don't know. But certainly Abraham Lincoln is the main man associated with the, uh, the beard without a moustache. I hold my trousers up, which somebody in um, Britain would call braces and somebody in North America would call suspenders. I'm pretty sure they're called braces in Australia too. Why? Well, belts were associated with the carrying of weapons, the carrying of swords, daggers and later revolvers. And because the Quakers the Anabaptists, including Mennonites, Amish and all those people, were pacifists. They didn't want to carry weapons. And the best way they could show to people that they were carrying no weapons was by not wearing a belt, but by wearing braces, suspenders to hold their trousers up. So that, again, is where this idea, and if you ever wondered why the Amish all wear braces, they do. And 
the Amish do wear clip-on braces. They very few of them wear the button-on braces that would have been associated with the 19th century, but they wear braces anyway. They wear plain colours. I, I have, when I say I've erred away from plain dressing in one respect, since moving to Sweden, I used to live on the Welsh borders. And on the Welsh borders, you never saw a mosquito. I was never bitten by a mosquito on the Welsh borders, uh, along with most people. I was bitten by almost every other flying insect, but not mosquitoes. When I moved to Sweden, I suddenly found that mosquitoes were everywhere. So in mosquito season, I do wear a, a plaid top and shirt because that uh, keeps the mosquitoes. The same reason why zebras have stripes, incidentally. They've found that by putting a stripy jumper on a horse, mosquitoes leave it alone. The mosquitoes zoom in, see the pattern and think, whoa, what's this all about? And fly away. So I, I do wear um, fairly simple uh, plaid shirts uh, in the summer when the mosquitoes are about. But apart from that, I'm plain dressing. I don't use zip fasteners. I don't go for logos. I wear a hat most of the time, uh, pretty much all the time outside. And it suits me. I, I know where I am. I, I buy my clothes secondhand. And I obviously have to fit in with what that is. But people, you can buy shirts very cheaply secondhand because people buy them for something, an interview, a wedding or something, and then give them away to charity. So you can get virtually new shirts for about $3, uh, which is wonderful. So plain dressing is there. Plain speech is also an important part of, of how people react. And, and I try and keep my speech as plain as possible. And indeed, when I'm uh, corresponding with with Quakers, I often revert to plain speech altogether. Now, I know what you're thinking at this point. Why would I want to do it? Well, the answer is you probably wouldn't. Um, and I would add one thing here. It is much easier for men to plain dress and not look particularly out of place in most places than it is for women to plain dress, because plain dress for women... Again, patterns do exist. Lots of um, Mennonite women do wear patterned um, uh, dresses, but the Amish stick with the plain colours. They're long, they usually wear head covering, and a lot of women would not want to go around the streets of a city because they'd get abuse, much in the same way as many Muslim women get abuse in Western um, cities and have rude things said about them, sometimes by politicians who should know better. Because if you live in a country where Hell's Angels are free to wander about wearing Hell's Angels gear, why can't a Muslim woman walk around the streets dressing in whatever she wants? And I know you will say because she's been told to do it, but I don't think that's always the case. Uh, certainly if she is forced to doing it, it's wrong. But if she's doing it for her own choice, then her choice is as good as anybody else's, as far as I'm concerned. And we should leave women alone to choose what they want to wear and we should leave men alone to choose what they want to wear as well that's part of the whole issue now um what do people have against it then i said i have an awful lot of people when i publish something about plainness there is a, a an article on my blog called radical simple living and i will um, post the link to that at the bottom of this podcast so you can have a read about it um, one of the things that's noticeable is about the Amish, that they seem to be locked in a time in history. And for men, that time in their clothing is about the 1920s. And 
For women, it would seem to be in the 1880s, maybe, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe the 1860s. Why? Well, the answer is they got to a point where they thought that clothing was all they wanted. They said, why, why do we need anything else? So the zip fastener came along. Well, why do we need zip fasteners? We don't need them. We've got on without them. Mass-produced cheap clothing came along. Why do we need mass-produced cheap clothing? We make our own. Um, Donald Craybill, the main um, scholar who has researched so many aspects of Amish life, said, why do people distrust the Amish? And he goes back to a time in the 1920s and he said, they spoke German. But then where they were living, which was principally uh, Western Pennsylvania and Ohio, vast swathes of the population spoke German. Most of the migrants to that part of the world was German. So um, speaking German shouldn't have been a problem. Was it because they wore um, vests, waistcoats and, uh, in, in English, uh, UK English or, 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 or braces? suspenders in US English? No, because most men wore... Um, though, can you hear a cat wants to go out? I better stop there. No, that cat doesn't want to go out. They just want to meow a lot. So I'm afraid we'll have to put up with that. Um, so it, it, most men dress like that because the women wore long dresses. Well, most women wore long dresses in those days. Most women wore head covering in the, in the 19th century and the start of the 20th century. So it can't have been that. Was it because they were religious? Most people in those parts of the world were religious. He, he puts it down to the fact that the Amish wouldn't fly the flag. Patriotism, flying the stars and stripes above your home, is something the Amish wouldn't do. And because of this, they were mistrusted. They were thought that their loyalties weren't to America, but their loyalties lay elsewhere. In actual fact, their loyalties lay to their community and to their family and the idea of nationhood was something uh, that was alien to them, partly because they had been really pushed around Europe for generations, from Germany to Switzerland to the Ukraine to Holland, all over the place, and that's why they ended up in America anyway. Okay. Now, the whole idea of, of, of plainness is a big one. Uh, there is a, a Facebook page that I run called Plain and Simple Place where you can find out more, or you can simply uh, read my uh, blog, which has quite a lot to say about it. But if you reject plainness altogether and say it's not for me, that's absolutely fine. But next time you see somebody that's dressed plain, have a little bit more thought um, for them and, and what they do. There's one other group that hasn't got a mention so far. And before I go, I want to mention them. These are the Bruderhof. The Bruderhof are also an Anabaptist group that live in a community. They don't live as individuals. They really do live in a community. Amish are individual households. They join together in a community with their church, which isn't a building, but a group of people. And so they are connected to each other like that. The Bruderhof actually do live in communities and they have communities in Germany, in Australia, in in Britain, and in North America. And they too are dedicated to a simple life and to plain dressing in their own terms. They don't look the same as Amish, they look different, but they are plain according to their, their, their own criteria. And our own criteria 
and the criteria we always rely on in the end. Okay, thank you very much for listening today. If you've liked the podcast, please do publicise it to your friends. I don't get on social media much in the summer because I, in the summer, it's not summer yet, in the spring and summer because I'm just too busy. So if you get the chance to push this podcast to other people that might be interested, if you have groups on Facebook that are interested in simplicity or plainness or both, do um, put this uh, podcast up, advertise it, make people aware of it so we can spread the word. I would be so grateful for you doing that. Thank you very much. I do hope to see you again. I'll be back in, uh, in a few days' time, I hope. Okay, thank you for joining me today.